0: and how's everybody doing out there? Uh in uh HD2 KPFT World. This is Kelvin Davis filling in for Gord Anderson and this is Black on Both Sides for Friday, March 3rd. Well, today's the 30th No, it's the 29th. The and that over here is our special guest we have in the studio and I'll get to them shortly, but welcome to all those out there listening on HD2 on the TuneIn app uh on the internet as well. This is Black on Both Sides. Uh today we got some special guests in the house. We got a uh, two members i guess you can say of the parenting movement uh <laughs> the parenting, the, the parenting movement. movement here in houston i mean i both they're both wonderful to me from what i've heard what i've seen they're both wonderful parents i just happen to be married to one of them yes you are uh you're yeah, speaking to the mic pia yes
1: you are
2: married to me
0: yes i am uh, speak
2: i said yes you are married to yes
0: me. And that's the voice of miss uh pia maddox davis and then we have her co-host of the
2: you know
0: the name of my uh, podcast mother where's my shoe mommy where's my shoe mommy where's my shoe and I was about to say your other podcast oh, but uh let have miss today.
1: brianne thomas
0: miss brianne thomas here uh of the mommy where's my shoe uh podcast here on uh you can listen to it on itunes anchor pretty much wherever you get podcasts you can get your podcast listening uh Quite a, quite a few places. Got speaking to Quite a few places. You know, go ahead and introduce yourselves right now. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We'll start with Pia. Okay.
2: Hello, I am Pia Maddox Davis. Hello, I am Pia Maddox Davis.
1: And I'm brianne Thomas. You're not following the script, Bre. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize. I thought that was your script. No, that's you. You're okay, dying. and I'm Brand Barnard.
0: Or say whatever you all want to say. Whatever say. <laughs> we just need. I just need from quick. the
1: podcast. Mommy, where is my shoe? <laughs> Today we are f- filling in for Gordon Anderson, and we are excited to spend the next hour with you. So, our podcast,
2: "Mommy Wears My Shoe," focuses on our experiences as moms.
1: Today, P and I invite you to join us as we discuss navigating white spaces during childbirth building our villages, and selecting our schools and daycares while being black.
2: So if you would like to join the conversation, feel free to call in to 713-525-8737. So, Brianne, you want to start? Did I say 713-526-8737? Once yeah. again, 713 713-
0: Five two five eight seven three seven seven one three five two six eight seven three seven. Hey, this is their first time on radio, so uh, just uh, bear with us here. And also, you know, it's KPFT, we're always looking for donations. Uh, you don't have to wait till pledge drive to get them done. So, you know, you can call that same number seven one three five two six eight seven three seven, or you can go to kpft.org. Uh, hit donate, give as much as you can. Uh, you don't have to wait for pledge drive because you know we're always. Uh, looking for donations here at KPFT dot com. And before we're gonna do that, we're gonna take a short, short break before we bring you in, and we're gonna play a little Stevie Wonder. We'll be back in probably less than thirty seconds. And the next voices you'll hear after that will be Miss Brienne and Miss Pia. at KPFT dot
2: We'll be back. Hello, this is Pia and Brienne from our Mommy Wears My Shoe, the podcast, and we are excited to be here filling in for Gordon Anderson. So Brienne, what are we talking about today? Well,
1: Gordon asked us to talk about being black moms here in Houston. And we can talk about that. <laughs> I think we have firsthand experience. Right. And so... When I was thinking about what to talk about, I thought, well, let's start in chronological order. Let's talk about birth. Okay. And there's been a lot of research around birth and black women and our mortality rate when it comes to delivering and postpartum. Yes. And it depends on which study you read. We're either three more times likely to die in childbirth or postpartum or four times more likely than our white counterparts. And there's research now being done um, to try to fight this, but I want to talk about ways that we can take control. Because I've also seen articles where there are young, pregnant women of color who are scared. That is true. And I don't, I don't want them to be scared. I think birth is beautiful. It's natural. We are capable. And I need them to go in there, into the birthing room, and into the birthing experience. Empowered. Empowered. Definitely.
2: And I agree. Uh, One of the things that I did, even when um, I found out I was pregnant with Andrew, my oldest, I researched hospitals before I ever looked for an obstetrician. And I knew that hospital policies dictated, I guess, the doctor 's permissions and what he could and could not right. do, True. so I also wanted to make sure that I delivered not at the right hospital, but I wanted a hospital with certain amenities certain with the right hospital um, for you yeah, it was the right hospital for me, and I ended up choosing a hospital that was one of the first to have the baby friendly desert well not one of the first but when it was becoming popular to have the baby friendly designation. So there was no nursery. My son roomed in with me from the time that he was born. And I think he only left once for a procedure. Other than that, he was with me and I was fine with that. So I think that, choosing the hospital or birthing center because some moms want to give birth in a birthing center or deciding if you want to have a home birth, but making that choice, that begins the empowerment process because you are making those decisions for yourself and not allowing someone else to dictate where you give birth.
1: Right. I did um, the same thing because I just moved to Houston. And when I thought about giving birth, I thought about giving birth in water, and I just wanted it to be something spiritual, but I was also afraid, and I felt that uh, doctors would be there to help me if something went wrong, and the, the doctors would be able to save certain things from going wrong, so I decided I wanted to look for a hospital that had physicians, but that would allow me to birth in water. The closest I could find to that here in Texas was a hospital that had just opened up, and they would allow you to labor in water but not actually give birth in water. For that, I'd have to go to a birthing center. At that time, I wasn't um, comfortable with the idea of going to a birth center, and home birth was something that I I really knew no one who had had a home birth yet, so I wasn't comfortable with that either. So this hospital was a good place for me, and then from there, I the same thing you did, because I had no idea who was going to be. I didn't have a GYN or anyone, because I wasn't from here. I was from New York. So I looked to see, found my hospital, and then I looked to see who delivered there, and I found um, midwives that worked in the hospital. So that was, I think, like you said, one of the best ways to start your empowered process. And then from there, we found um, our midwife's now, the community of midwives that I found, there was only one woman of color. Sometimes if you want to have um, more people of color in your facility, then that's something that you need to also look, look for. I would agree.
2: Um, when I moved to Houston, I had a different obstetrician gynecologist every year for my pap smears and when it came when I found out that I was pregnant with my second son I didn't know who I was going to go to because I had not liked any of the doctors and I'm I'm not going to say bad but I'm not going to remain with a doctor with whom I'm ambivalent or don't care and so that's why every year I tried someone new and when I became pregnant I was worried because I know that I am I have a a low tolerance for pain Mm -hmm. and I don't tolerate needles very well. And I needed someone who was going to be able to, I feel like my husband's laughing over here at me. was going to be able to respect that because I can be difficult. Right. And it took me a while. I went through three obstetricians before I settled on the one who ultimately delivered my son.
1: Right. Hold on. That's something important. Ladies, and or people who are supporting pregnant people in your lives know that you can interview yes interview the people who will be there during your delivery that is your choice you do is. not have to just go to the first one and your insurance cannot
2: dictate to whom you go you have the right to change your provider you you have the choice you don't have to go to the person that's closest to you if you want to drive Forty miles, I know that with my first son, we lived in Northwest Georgia. we weren't in the Atlanta area, but I drove into Atlanta for doctor's appointments because it was important to me to have the right doctor or the right doctor for me so with my second son, um, I thought I found the ideal obstetrician it wasn't at the ideal hospital because I think we delivered at the same hospital, but I found i th- Found another hospital that I was I loved, I loved the obstetrician, and she decided t- to stop practicing because she had just had a baby,
1: oh. and which I could understand. Of course, she no, had, no, no, that, that's perfectly fine. She had an eight-month-old, but old, not for you. No, it was <laughs> not for
2: me. I found someone else who, based on my medical history was suggesting procedures for which we had not done any type of testing none and for what she wanted to do i know that the mr an mir is a, mri is a standard uh diagnostic to determine if i even would need a hysterectomy and when she started she went there i'm like okay but why and she was just overly cautious and that to me like okay if you're talking about a hysterectomy on our first visit. Right. What are you going to be talking about? Three or four visits. And then she was determined. It's to me, it felt like she was determined to make me, um, have gestational diabetes. I was a little overweight before I delivered. So I was kind of fluffy. but, I know my body and believe I was a neurotic person. I had gone out and purchased the uh, testing material to test my blood sugar. I did That's it right. every day because it, it was something that I knew I was larger than when I had my first child. I didn't want, I wanted to know, I didn't want it to be a surprise to me. Right. So I'm like, I, I know I'm not. I test my levels every day. I even test my levels after I eat and I'm good. And when she called to tell me that I had passed my three hour test, she sounded sad. No. So I was like, no. So
1: they were red flags. They, they were. were
2: flags. So you, when ladies, you have to to pay attention to those red flags and to and to trust your intuition. If someone says something that you don't like on the first visit on the second visit imagine how you're going to feel when you are in labor and i've never been in labor so brienne can can attest to this but when i'm in pain i don't want to deal with foolishness and i also and also when you're in pain sometimes you you don't have the ability to um Advocate for yourself right. because your defenses are down. So you don't want someone who's going to have you in a position where they can convince you and manipulate you to do things that you really don't want to do because you're you're tired.
1: Right. And that's one of... Um something else that we should think about when you are having a baby is to think about hiring a doula. Yes. A doula is an advocate for you in the birth and room and for your husband as well. Yes. Your husband is there um, in America. Our husbands are in- invited into our rooms, but our husbands typically have not seen a lot of births. No. <laughs> they don't have a lot of experience in this, in this place and they can be there to hug you and to love you. But you know, they're scared too. They're they are. Hu- they're human and it's a lot of pressure for them and uh, I, I can't say it enough that if you can afford it because they cost money, it's an extra expense and some insurances is now starting to cover it so you have to do your research looking to get a doula.
2: And some doulas do take payment plans and what I understand that there are quite a few because you have 40 weeks in which you're in labor. And I'm, I, the prices that I've seen are between 600 and and $1,000, and maybe you can find someone that will take a weekly or a biweekly payment plan to make a doula a possibility for your labor.
1: Especially um, newer doulas, some of them will actually do it for free. because they, they just want the experience. And don't think because they're new that they're not the right one for you. My, my doula was new, and we love her. We, she's a part of our family now. Um, so no, go back to your to the whole thing with the doctor. Did you end up firing her? Oh, I did.
2: I fire Actually, I didn't even fire her. I just stopped going, <laughs> and I began to reach out to people that I knew who had had babies recently, and the same name came up a few times. And I was high risk due to my age and my. Cesarean from my first birth. So I was late into my pregnancy. I was high risk and it was all well, late into my pregnancy. So I don't know if people are aware that doctors only will schedule so many births during a month because they want to make sure that they They're are available. There. And since I was almost five months, most doctors were booked up for the time that I was going to deliver. So that was something else that I was up against. But one name kept coming up. I called and surprisingly he had an availability and it was because he had changed state. facilities. It was, and I, I loved him. I love the fact that he, for, even though I knew my case, I've come to realize that his style is he almost forces women to take ownership of why they're there, what their problems are. Because every time when you go in, he asks, why are you there? And he knows why you're there because he's reading <laughs> your chart. So it's not like he's walking in and he's just kind of spacey. He's looking at your chart, asking Why are you here? What are your problems? And those are things that you need to know, because if you don't know what your problems are or you don't have an understanding of your history, anything could happen. And you're not in a position to educate yourself to know what your options are. So it was perfect. I found someone and he's not on my insurance now but believe me i'm not going to anyone else i will not i mean i will have him refer me out to testing for someone else but i am going to stay with him there was something that i wanted to touch on when you said when we were talking about doulas um oh yeah so did you know that i'm working on my childbirth educator certification (laughs) (laughs) so if you're listening Childbirth educators are also available. They're a little bit less expensive than a doula. So if you can't afford a doula, if it's not a pro, a payment plan that you can work out, and this, you can find someone to educate you on the process of childbirth if you don't know. And I think even more so for women, it's a good course for your husbands to take or for you all to do this because you know your bodies. Women know their bodies, but husbands don't understand how... Your, you know, your
1: stomach pretty much ends up in your heart. They don't
2: understand oh, we don't the understand changes. Either. A lot of
1: women don't. Uh, so, we don't live in a society where we see a lot of pregnant women anymore. Or like our mothers aren't pregnant with us. Our sisters and brother—I mean, our sis- brothers, my brothers—but our sisters aren't giving birth around us. So we 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 have to true. learn a, a lot. I, I remember we—I did Bradley, and they actually had a picture of what, you know, certain parts were going to look like at different types at different times in your labor, and I was really shocked. <laughs> So I know I know my body in a non-pregnant form, but I surely didn't know no, it, 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 what was going to happen.
2: Exactly. It was it was interesting the things that happen. If you don't know, go Google. <laughs> Physiological and <Yeah. laughs> physical
1: changes during pregnancy and you'll
2: be astounded. Okay,
1: so let's go over a few things. Find your find the right birth in place for you. Definitely. Um then choose your provider. Make sure you don't you find a provider that you like and you like their team because sometimes they're not always available.
2: That is true. For me, it was important to find a doctor who worked by himself. I would not go to a practice where I saw different doctors on a weekly basis. When I went, I only wanted to see my doctor. Right. And I understand that at some practices you might see someone occasionally in the event that your doctor's not working or when you go into labor, he's not there. So you have an under, uh relationship with those doctors on call. But I didn't want a practice where every week I saw someone new.
1: Right. Well, and my with well, the midwives every week I I did see who was available and whoever showed up for my birth showed up for my birth so you could have a relationship with everyone. When I moved on to um a OBGYN practice, I just saw my OBGYN and um but you delivered <laughs> whoever was really there cuz they they have to have a you know, a work life balance as well. So, but that if that's not what you want, that is totally okay. That
2: is true. And I had a cesarean, so for me it wasn't likely that i was going to have a random well whoever was on call it was scheduled by my doctor so unless something went wrong with him i knew that he was going to be there so that is something when you have natural childbirth that is something i guess that you do have to be aware
1: right and then um also get educated take birthing classes with your partner or with um a family member that you love and trust yes and then um Possibly get a doula or uh, another person in the room with you besides your husband. Also, so you exactly. can probably take a break. But that's if you want.
2: If you have a friend that you trust or someone who, just someone you know that you have, with whom you have a good relationship, who's interested in supporting you that would be a great idea if you can't afford a doula because and i guess that goes to our next segment of building a village you might have someone in your community who is willing to support you at this time or someone who's had children and they know what it's like to to not i guess have a
1: good delivery and they want to help you advocate for yourself right and then also if um the whole part about this was you know make sure that you're providers educated if you are nervous about um the statistics that are showing up in the news everywhere first of all stop listening to the news when you're pregnant and don't read any of those things because you don't want that in that's not going to be your story ladies and um, husbands out there that's not going to be your story we're going to learn from our sisters and we're going to empower ourselves so you you know turn any negativity off and um just keep with the idea that you're going to have a beautiful, healthy child and a healthy pregnancy. Um, now, if you are nervous, please talk to your provider about that. Make sure that they are informed. You do that during your interview process, and you do it at any point when you are nervous. Like you said, your doctor always spoke to you, and you built a relationship with him, and I think that's really important, or her, or your midwife, and um, or you may have an unassisted birth. You might. And um, then I guess you talk with, you have to talk with yourself, you know, make sure that this is really what you want. Um, another way to make sure that you're safe and confident is to, to make a checklist of things to look out for post um, postpartum.
2: Exactly. There are, I think we have this idea that once you give birth to the baby, the focus is on the baby, no, and a lot of women to. don't realize that there are complications that can occur and they're not aware of it, or they allow a doctor to dismiss it and say well oh it happens to every woman but you know yourself you know if something is not right so it's good to have an idea as to things to, that could go wrong not to f- frighten yourself but just so you can say you know my heart's racing my 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 heart's not beating correctly because there are heart conditions that can develop blood clots or something that's possible if you have pains in your extremities or even mm-hmm. if that Postpartum bleeding is heavier
1: than you think it should be. Don't be afraid to harass your doctors. Go in, go in. That's another thing too. Don't miss any of the postpartum uh, appointments. And if make sure you show up exactly. And if um, you don't feel well, take an ambulance. You have to show up. Also, um, there are postpartum doulas. There are postpartum, and doulas? they're they're amazing. I uh, I was lucky enough to have one with my third child and. I recovered faster than I did with my other two um, births because I had someone there with me. Now, everyone may not have a postpartum doula, but you need to make a postpartum plan. Just like hospitals now will encourage you to make a birthing plan, you need to make a postpartum plan. Definitely. Especially especially black women, we need to make a postpartum plan. We need to have um, a schedule of people who will come visit us daily and help us out. And you've got to understand, they're not your guests. No, they're not. They are helpers. Let them know before they come. If you don't want to verbally let them know, make a beautiful um, text message or email. There's this book called The Fourth Trimester, um, a postpartum guide to healing your body because you are healing, ladies.
2: And people are not coming to hold the baby while you do laundry and sweep the floor.
1: No, no. Help them the brew. And don't clean the house before they show up. That's their job.
2: Exactly. And if you can't. Go to a friend's house who's had a baby and offer to help. Don't go. Just stay at home.
1: <laughs> exactly. If you want to see someone's baby but you don't want to help them, don't show up. FaceTime. FaceTime uh, or get a delivery of pizza sent to their house, which reminds me, food. This is... Um, I, I had lots of meals. <laughs> and gift cards. And gift cards, right. That's a perfect a perfect thing to do for a person you know who is about to give birth. Um, is to make them a meal but also you can host a meal train when people are going to host baby showers for you ask that person You know, can you also host a meal train for me where people sign up online and they come to your house two times a week or maybe once a week and they, someone drops a meal off so if you were to give birth Pia and I sign up um, for Tuesday March 30th that's my day I come to your house I drop the meal off for you uh, that's something that's really not that hard, and it's...
2: I met someone at Brienne's house the other day. Her baby's, what, four months,
1: and she's still on her meal train? Yeah, she is. She is. you got to take care of your community.
2: Yeah, but you have to build a village to get there. <laughs>
1: so we keep going back to this village. <laughs> right. People always talk about um, that African proverb, like it takes a village. It definitely takes a village. You do not want to parent alone, and you shouldn't parent alone. No, and we're going to talk about
2: a village when we return from our break so listen to a little stevie wonder and brianna and i will be back in a minute Welcome back. I hope that you're enjoying being here with Brienne and I because we're enjoying being here with you. Yes. So we, we've been talking about a village because having a village is truly important. We all need a village. And as black moms, I know for us, well, I'm not going to say we live in a predominantly white space because our I neighborhood do. is, is <laughs> quite diverse. Diverse well, in a way.
1: That's your neighborhood. Yeah, it's my neighborhood. <laughs>
2: Brienne lives in a predominantly um, white neighborhood, but she's still in a diverse city. Yeah, so I there am. is lots of access, but I feel as if sometimes the things that we do, uh, the organizations that we choose, the activities that we choose, are in predominantly white spaces. Right. So, do you feel the same? Um,
1: I, I do. I didn't consciously. Moved to a white neighborhood. I just remember coming from New York and thinking to myself, I don't want to be in the suburbs. I don't want to be isolated. I couldn't even drive really when I got here, so I wanted—that's right,
2: you all don't drive. So I wanted to
1: be in a walkable place. Okay, and so um, I was attracted to a certain neighborhood, and that neighborhood really didn't have a lot of African Americans, and at that time in my life that wasn't a concern for me the concern was accessibility and it was a pretty neighborhood it was beautiful your neighborhood is beautiful there are old trees There are established trees well that's my neighborhood now but the first when i first oh moved when you here. first
2: moved here right
1: well your neighborhood now i love it and i love the fact that the new builds aren't hideous oh yeah well and that's and that's a part of just being like in the inner loop or close on the border of the of
2: no there, there's some hideous <laughs> new builds in the inner loop plenty of them. I see them on a daily basis. We were, I was telling my husband that when we drove by. I was like, I love the houses here because they look, it's like they, they look, it's just been worked into the existing aesthetics right, it has even though they're new they feel as if they belong and right. that's not what you see in a lot of neighborhoods in houston but anyway we're going away from a village but brianne and i both moved here from other places we lived in northwest georgia immediately before moving to houston and before that we lived in atlanta and brianne was in New York. New York. So we both had to get to know people and over the past we moved here in 20, 2007. So in 12 years, I believe that I have made a an amazing um I've collected an amazing assortment of friends. I I love the people in my life. I I keep fidgeting. I love the people in my life. I love what they add and I love that They've allowed me to be part of their circle to help them to celebrate with them and
1: just to, they've made me a part of their village. Right. And how did, how did you meet these people?
2: Um, some I met through at my son's schools, Mm -hmm. others I met at church, others I met just talking to random people in stores, (laughs) because if I saw someone who's, had a child the same age, like hey. activities for which we signed up and also online because Brianne and I met each other right, online. So I think that the internet has made it easy in a way to build a village. I know a lot of times people say that the internet helped has helped to um, decrease personal connections and people meeting and get together. I, I disagree completely because I feel as if, if once I've connected with someone, especially if they live in Houston, right. I mean, what's the sense? of having like texting each other if we have children who are similar in age let's schedule a play date let's get together so I think that the internet is a great way especially if you is a great way to build a village if you don't work if you are a stay-at-home mom sometimes I know people have they're not I'm not gonna say go getters, but they don't have that type of personality they where don't they're have just the outlets to exactly. meet them face to face. Or some people are afraid to just say go to the not afraid, but they're they don't wanna just go somewhere and not know what's going to go on, like to a library class or somewhere like that. So
1: go online it it
2: is it's good for the introverts you can find there
1: are a million groups for a million different classifications and that's and that's important too about the internet because you can be very specific about what group that you're looking for exactly how we found each other because it it was a positive parenting group for, for for black women exactly
2: And we both believe in nonviolent parenting. So I know that when I'm hanging out with Brienne, I'm not going to have to worry about her slapping her child,
1: which is (laughs) important. You're not going to. Which is important to me. I may think about it, but it's not going to (laughs) happen.
2: And we both
1: have boys
2: who are three years of age. So it it, it helps. It really does. So definitely the internet. How did you build your village in Houston, Brienne?
1: Well, again, you know, um, start from the chronological order from when I was pregnant I started to build it when I was pregnant um, through birthing classes and um, I also did a yoga class and you know there was one woman of color in the yoga class and um, she came up to me she spoke to me and she was like let's go to lunch and I didn't think anything of it because at that point I didn't realize how I was not in a black space (laughs) But when she did that, I thought, oh, okay, you know, I I see what she's doing here. And we went out to lunch, and we became really, really good friends during our pregnancy in the first few months of um, um, postpartum. And we had a lot in common. And there were certain things I could talk to her about that, even though I was making friends with women of different um, races, I wasn't um, able to connect with them the same The same way I was able to connect with her about certain things, not everything, because you know the whole part, the whole point of a village um, is that there are different parts to the village, and there's and there are people who do certain jobs, and they're there for certain reasons and for certain seasons. And I started my village way before um, I actually gave birth. And I didn't have enough people to like make me a food train or anything, (laughs) but I had a good number of people at my baby shower and I I felt like I was supported. It also helped me um, find uh, classes postpartum, which is another place that my village started to grow and in Houston. And I don't know about other places in America, because I can only talk about where I gave birth, but please look this up there are there's a support group for everything in Houston there is and I really encourage everyone to go there like our support I went to my doula opened a support group and made an amazing group of friends and we're still very good friends our husbands are friends our children are friends uh there are support groups at hospitals there are there is one here um I think Texas, ch- No, I think it's the women's hospital and I didn't give birth there. So I didn't even think, well, that- I know the women's pavilion. They, so women's has one
2: because, um, Texas, the women's pavilion where I delivered, they have a weekly class. It's on a six or eight week rotation.
1: Oh, I didn't know. Oh, and I didn't know that. And I delivered there, <laughs> but there is a, the women's hospital has like this amazing, um, class and a lot of, I, a lot of friends I know m- met their mama friends that they've been friends with for life. I mean, well, not for life. Their entire children's lives they've been close to. And also your churches may have one if you go to church. The the point is, this is like an entry point, this baby having stage. It's a wedge into a whole (laughs) new world. It's like uh, ninth grade all over again (laughs) or freshman year of college where everyone is new. No one knows what they're doing. And this is the time to make a lot of new friends, even if you're not new to um, Houston or to uh, new to the area that you gave birth in. But this is a new chapter in your life. And
2: even for me, when I had my youngest son, I wasn't new. I wasn't inexperienced with children, but my oldest was 10. My youngest well, he was about to be born, so I had to start a whole new village. I had to get to know new people because my son's friends weren't having babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it forced me, once again, out of my comfort zone, and it forced me to connect with people who had similar, we had some, had a simil- similarity.
1: Right. And besides, you know, bringing food after you have a baby, um, let's talk about some of the Positive things about having a village. Uh, Their connections that you make. They're also for if you're looking for a job, you make connections through this village. They're there for that. Tell um, us about that connection
2: that about with your mom
1: oh, when she was visiting. That yeah. was an awesome connection, right? And um, my mom was uh, here for a few weeks, and unfortunately, she had a heart attack. I remember that. And I made a friend at a birthday party, and she's a stay-at-home mom, similar to myself, and. She called me for a play date while my mom was in the hospital, and I did not like the facility she was at. It was okay for, um, for a while, but I could, didn't feel comfortable there, and I knew we needed a change, and we we're trying to transfer her out. And uh, my friend called me and just asked you know, for a play date. I'm like, I can't have a play date. And I was very open and vulnerable. And I said to her, I, I said, my mom's in the hospital. She just had a heart attack, and I need to transfer her out. And she told me, well, I think I know someone that can help you, and she did. And she's... And then my mom Got the transfer. My mom got transferred out. And that's what I mean. You can't... You don't even know the things that your village can do for you. Exactly. And you're not doing it just
2: to increase those connections. You... I guess the connections that benefit you, you just want to have that personal human connection right, with someone. And I'm sitting here thinking about moms that I know who are stay-at-home moms and they say, oh, its it, I don't like being at home, I i don't have anything to do. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you don't have anything to do? It's like there's a whole city out there I
1: never have and that feeling. And there's free
2: things. I mean, you don't, you don't, you can spend money, but there, you could literally in the city of Houston go out every day and engage in an activity and not spend any no, money. No, but
1: that's another reason why you need a village because that may be your talent. That is true. Your talent may I know be... everything. Well, not everything. <laughs> 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 I know where everything is. <laughs> that may be your talent to know everything. But, yes. And, um. So there you go. I can call you and say Pia what's going on. One of my I have another friend that's so friendly and um Michael makes fun of me. Michael's my husband. He says, "Oh, you know everyone." I'm like, "No, I don't know everyone, but I know someone who does." Exactly. <laughs> and so I just hang out with her and I just meet all these people and it's it's awesome. It's
2: you know, getting out of the house and and it's kind of goes back to birth. When you're at home with a baby and you you can, I'm not going to say it's postpartum, but you can have those baby blues because you feel isolated. You, you're you lonely, especially if you've worked or you've just been active, you can start to feel bad, but just calling up someone or texting someone or saying, hey, let's meet at the park or let's meet at the library or let's go somewhere to this breastfeeding class together. It can help to lift your spirits and just to make you you feel better.
1: Right. Now, we're, um, we're talking about, like, okay, yoga class. That's where I met some of my friends when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then I did a yoga class after um, I gave birth with my baby. But, you know, when I walked into the yoga class, I was, like, one of the only black women there. So how did you feel? So I felt okay, you know, in the yoga environment. But as a mom, that happens to me a lot. And sometimes it's... It does. I walk in and I'm the only black person there And sometimes I'm a little bit intimidated by it But if you're out there and you're black And you've just had a baby And you're walking into a room, into a music class Because you've heard these women (laughs) tell you something you need to do And you walk in and you're the only woman of color Sometimes that that could be striking And I play a trick with myself (laughs) What's this trick? I say, I send them love <laughs> I send them love, I send them love and then all of a sudden they it does, I don't feel as intimidated anymore. I sorry, I don't You're feel so as positive. A, right I, I send them love and it goes away. like it just takes down the like, anxiety a notch. They look like humans to me and not something that I'm I don't not a situation where I don't belong or they're better or anything else or I'm the only one like myself. We are all humans together. And I just send them love and then I get over it. And sure enough, someone will come up to me and talk to me and it'll go.
2: It'll go. Have you had any negative experiences navigating white spaces since you've been here in Houston? No. And I can't, I can't think of any, and that's, I'm not going to say that's why I love Houston. But one of the things that I do love about Houston is the diversity. And when you live in the city, I think people live in the city of Houston because they want diversity, because they want something different. They want that exposure. So I think that because of it, people are more willing and open to interacting with people who are different than themselves. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the one thing that I feel as if being, I can't speak to being another race, but that being black is not... It's not, I don't feel weighted or oppressive. It's like if, as if my presence is a threat or an affront to someone. I've never felt that way since I've been here.
1: Hmm. Well, actually, I was pulled over by a cop. (laughs) (laughs) And I was freaked out by that because of, you know, every What they all say. Right. And, um... he was really nice to me and and I was just like okay the only day but that was like but that was coming for me and what you've
2: internalized and heard in the media
1: right but okay so even though I live in white spaces and I can tell myself you know I send them love I have a strategy for this but our children I don't know if they have a strategy no I don't think they do. and children are not colorblind they seek
2: and they shouldn't, but we shouldn't be colorblind. But for some reason, we have this idea that we shouldn't talk about race or we shouldn't speak about race. But we have to. I mean, we have to accept because, I mean, I'm just going to pretend you are a white person. OK, you're white. You have experiences from uh, I keep hitting the table. <laughs> you have experiences of, of being white. You would have experiences from your culture. And for me to say, I don't see Race or I don't see color. I'm, I'm taking saying, away everything you. about you, everything right. that makes you you. So I think that that's one thing that, as adults, we need to to be more aware of color and to become comf- find ways to become comfortable with it because our children are, are watching us and they're learning what they're learning from us.
1: Right, and uh, we have to be able to speak about color to our children yes. and to their teachers. Definitely to their teachers. Do you want to start talking about schools?
2: Yes, because this is one thing I think that Brienne and I are both passionate about. Is so. Wait, let-
1: you know, I just realized something in making the village. You know, I want to say we. It's important for us, even if we're in white spaces, when we see sisters, um, we talk to them to acknowledge and presence. to acknowledge them and and their presence because we want our children to. Uh, have friends of different uh sorry friends of different we want our children to have friends that look like them as well exactly so even if that person may not totally be our person we still need to make an effort to talk to them and to get
2: to know them to get to
1: know them so our children could possibly play together and see each other because this is very important so and you will, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when it comes to school.
2: Exactly. Okay, go
1: ahead. Sorry. Yeah, because
2: so Brianna and I are, are both pretty passionate about choosing schools and daycare because we know that there is a long-term effect to the choices that we choose. And I I know for me it's been difficult to find programs that are run by people who look like me that I Feel comfortable leaving my child for different reasons
1: right and in Houston we're fortunate to have places where um our children aren't the minority in schools it just hasn't happened to work out for us
2: yes yeah, it has not worked out for us I believe that every space that my children have been they have been the minority they've been diverse spaces right but they have definitely been the minority and I know for me I'm big on educational pedagogies. I want something that is holistic. Too. And I'm just going to be frank and say it. I have not found a holistic black space. Now there is one in the city of Houston now of which I am familiar, but it's not it's not convenient for me. It's yeah,
1: not For me just they're just not convenient for me. They're not where again because I live in a white space because I, I didn't realize how important it was going to be later on for my children. But I'm okay with where I live. I, I love my community, and I've done certain things to ensure that my yeah. children see themselves.
2: But even if there's only one holistic facility in Houston, the chances of it being convenient to you are slim to none, no right. matter where you live. Right. And I've found that I, I want something that I want play based. And when I search for programs, except for this one, Programs that are run by people that look like me—they're sticking flashcards in faces of two and three-year-old children, and they're doing homework. Yeah, no, that is not best practices, and I—I I don't want that. So, black educators who are thinking about opening a center—you could attract a lot of black people if you had something similar to Montessori or Montessori or Waldorf. Or Waldorf. <laughs> yes, because we love Waldorf or in
1: Montessori <laughs> or
2: just something in which children can learn and grow and discover but yeah so I'm getting off on a tangent so one thing that we do want to say is start looking when you find out you're pregnant that's the perfect time to start looking for a daycare or to start even looking for for preschool because I joke with Brienne about the fact that I completed a preschool application well a kindergarten application while I was in the hospital with my son. After giving birth, I submitted an application. So, it's never too early to begin because if you don't start early, you're not going to have a chance to look at everything that's available you're not to have
1: you. Choices. The choices are going to be really limited. I started to look for an 18-month program when my daughter was 8 months and people told me to... Um, you were too late. I was too late. Exactly. You should have been on the <laughs> waiting list on, the list on then. And people think For that, a program that started at 18 Months Because there are other people who
2: had babies that age, and they want that program. And good programs are hard to get into. So you want to start. But you want to look at, even if you can't find a facility that has a lot of children that look like your children, look at the staff. That's that's so important. That is.
1: And ask the staff questions about it. And if they tell you they're colorblind, keep moving.
2: Exactly. (laughs) I love my son's daycare. The staff is a mix of... Ages, there's older people, there's younger people, there's black, white, Hispanics of different ethnicities, blacks from different countries. I love the fact that it's not just white people. I have nothing against white people, but I think that it's nice for children to, to live in diverse environments, to go to school. I don't want to just say, Oh, I'm for diversity, but I don't embrace it in other areas. Right. I want my children to be around other people to learn, to, to live and play with people who look like them and who don't look like them. So start early.
1: Right. And when you go on tours, Take a look at how they're treating the other black children that are there. Yes. If a child is raising their hand and a ch- they're a child of color and they're not, someone's not choosing them. That's... Did that happen to you while you were choosing yes, school? Michael, <laughs> Michael noticed that. He was like, did you see that little girl who was raising her hand and the teacher picked everyone but her? Or is the black child in the corner? And not just the black child. Is the, There's a child that's mentally handicapped. How are they treated? Are they also in the corner? You know? So that's over but that goes with overall experience with the school but I'm going to bring it back to being black in a in, you know in Houston and exactly. being, as a black parent. Um yeah. Also ask the school how do they celebrate diversity? Is um is black history month something celebrated at the school? How is it celebrated? Do does the school have a welcoming committee which is an organization that uh it represents welcoming minorities into the community. Look at the classroom um, library do you are pictures there, on the wall Is there skin tone construction paper right <laughs> Skin tone crayons right just look at you have to this little things that you just have to to look at and also uh, when you apply to a place, make sure you have a backup. Now you may get your first choice. do not get off the backup list. <laughs> Just tell them, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out for us this semester, but please keep us on your waiting list because...
2: If that first place doesn't work out...
1: You have a second place.
2: (laughs) Yes, I can speak to the importance of that. And so schools, it's very important um, to find something that aligns even with your values. Right. That's something to consider because what you teach your children, you want that center to teach your children. You don't want your children to get... Um, inconsistent messages.
1: Right. And a school should always be affordable for you. Don't go into debt for your child if, you know, if you don't have to. There's certain times. If you don't have to. Right. There's certain times where in Houston, unfortunately, um, there's certain schools and you just, it's hard to get out of that, those systems and you just have to do what you have to do. But uh, um, try not to do it. <laughs>
2: I say if you have to eat beans and rice to put your child in no, the No, eat
1: beans and rice. I said not debt. <laughs> oh. <well. laughs> you could eat, eat I I like beans and rice. <laughs> oh. So,
2: once so if you have to choose a school that is predominant not culturally diverse, not predominantly black or it's predominantly white, um what are you doing outside of school? Are right. you finding organizations and activities in which to enroll your child so that they can see a representation
1: of themselves. That's important. That, that's very important. So outside of making sure the school is going to be accepting of your child and um, it, the cultures, you have to make sure that your child has activities outside of school where they see other people that look like them. And when you, we talk about diversity, M- my daughter's class is, I think there's only like four white children in class. There's four white children, there's maybe about 10 Hispanic children, and and then about five black children, but she's the only little black My girl.
2: girl. <laughs> well, I'm going to throw this out there. We send our, the city of Houston has a lot of programs, mm-hmm. and not om- not only through the city of Houston, but just different organizations have different programs. Uh, that are free. And when we go to those, they're very, very rarely do we see people that look like us. So people, black people take advantage of these free programs that are available and out there. Don't say you can't find things for your children or you can't afford it because there's things to do.
1: Right. But I wanted to say that like my daughter is the only black um, girl in her class and that started to affect her. And some of the things that, well, the Black History Month came and they had a show. My girl was so proud to be black. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like, how does the school celebrate, you know, your child's um, race or ethnicity? Yes. Also, things that you can control is our books that you have at home. Yes. She, books are important. I love finding w- books with little brown always children. You can't control what's on TV. No, you can't. But you can control what they, they read. You know, it's 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 something that I, I'm really passionate about. And even art that you put in your home. Yeah, that looks like them. And then, uh, and m- most important, I feel as black women in white spaces, what we need to do is to give back.
2: Yes. See if your child's school is open to use um, organizing a Black History program. And not just for Black History Month, but throughout the year. So that way you're giving back, not just to your child, but to the entire community. Right, that's, way
1: to, that's one way to give back. Help them host those shows. Teach an art class exactly. from, uh, from a black uh, person's perspective or about, based on a black artist. Yes. Donate to the school books if they don't have it. That is true. So I think our time is starting to run out. I know.
2: I know. I I don't think an hour was enough. I know. I was so I, we
1: could have done the full
2: two hours. I was nervous. I was apprehensive. No, no, I was apprehensive about uh, child talking care. for an hour because <laughs> our podcast is only roughly thirty minutes. But this is this has been fun. Yeah. Maybe we can do it again. So uh maybe Gordon will allow us to come back um let's see i want to just read this quickly before we leave this is a comment that someone made on the facebook page i grew up in the former soviet union so i had no choice but to get used to being in white spaces everywhere i went now that i live in the u.s i found that it has helped me navigate pretty much anywhere i go i would love for my son to be in an environment that are inclusive of all races but i find it so hard because of programs that i find interesting and want my son to partake in a 99% white. When I look around during story time at the library, I see white and Asian kids. We are almost always the only black family. I've had that experience and I can tell you what I've done. I've invited other black people. When I see black people, I'm like, my son does this class. That's Would you right. like to join us? Would you like to come out? Because I guess sometimes people don't know or some, right. maybe other black people don't feel comfortable in. And
1: that's when you give love
2: exactly that's when you give love. <laughs> well, if they, people don't go because they don't feel comfortable in those spaces so if they know you're going to be there they'll right. be more willing to go so to the mom who's who left that message find moms who look like you reach out to moms who have children your son's age and say my child does this program come and join us there's there's a trial class it meets this day try to help build that community that you would like to see for your son you have to you have to desegregate it that's, that's the right best that's way. right we have to do it so thank you black on both sides listeners for thank you listening to us today and if gordon goes out of town again tell him to uh, call us back thanks <laughs> thank you goodbye